Hello and welcome to Life and Inside Job, podcast where we centre our internal experiences as sources of comfort, of nourishment and creativity. My name is Kate and in no particular order I'm a writer, a mentor, a speaker, an artist and facilitator and my gorgeous hug of a book, Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause, is now available in most English-speaking countries around the world. The other thing I love to do is have soulful, meandering conversations with people about how their inner lives nourish them, about modalities and systems that support them in this. And in Life and Inside Job, you get to listen into that too. If you've listened to anything or read anything that I've created before, You'll know that the value of connecting to our bodies is central to everything that I do. It's called interoception. And it's essentially feeling the feels in the body. And this is what gives us access to our emotions, to our nervous system and our relationships so that we can self-regulate and feel affected in the world and comfortable. But what stops us from connecting our bodies? And how do we actually do it anyway? It's not always straightforward. So how can we listen to our bodies and respond, of course, kindly, especially if we don't have access to groups or therapists and we need to access this regulation independently? I get into some chewy and fascinating avenues to unpack this connection with Emily Humphreys, who works with a brand new and radically accessible technique called Reset Clearing, which is originated by Angus McLeod. She came through it through her own burnout at 40, and so specialises in energy illness or invisible illness. She also specialises in working with men, having raised two sons and spent many years studying the philosophy of masculinity. So I'm, well, we're both, we're both involved in the business of connecting with our bodies as a source of wisdom and supporting other people in doing the same. And instead of um, spending an hour <laughs> talking about the value and the wisdom of the body, as I'm sure we both do like full time anyway, what I, what, what, might be more interesting and more practical actually is to talk about what stops us from connecting because <laughs> there are so many things absolutely that keep us yeah. from connecting but before we get into that can you say a little bit about in your from your perspective the the value of connecting to our bodies yeah, I mean, as you say, it's something that we talk about and emphasise so much. Um, it's hard not to just to be asked the question. It's hard not to go immediately into what is my mo biggest personal crisis that was centred around not being in touch with my body. And honestly, I couldn't pick one. So I suppose, you know, the value is, is that it's in the negative that the value is if you don't, you know, all sorts of terrible things can happen your life will go in the, all of the wrong directions i suppose yeah so so it's really uh, the value is really about um being a whole person being in it, being an integrated person not being um I, I do think we go through definite stages as we age in the 20s 30s 40s and beyond we have all these different energies um and i say that because i think in the 20s there's a certain you know there's such a passion you're much more likely to be drawn into doing things because of or with other people in a very direct way that takes you beyond uh, and outside of what you might easily like as an individual you don't necessarily know yourself very well anyway but other but with that caveat I think you know listening to your own body and being in tune with it is the by far the best way to stop being taken for granted um, overused, overusing yourself, over pushing yourself. So yeah, it kind of is 
by still defining it by the negative, but that's uh, that's how I would put it. Yeah, thank you. That is all of that. And if we're not connected to a body, we don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the positive. <laughs> I get that joy. <laughs> we don't know what we feel. We lose touch with our emotions. I would say, and this this crosses with what you were saying. We don't know where our boundaries are. We don't know what is me, and what is you. Mm. We can't actually. We can't consent. Really, we can't mm -hmm. give consent. Mm. Which means we can't be intimate. <laughs> yeah. Because if you don't know where you begin and end, then how do you know what is me and what is you? Mm. Yeah, those are off the top of my head. Yeah. So feelings, feelings and connection. Mm. And oh, yes, you don't know you're on the earth. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. You don't yeah. actually land. I, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you see this very often with your people that people that it's that people don't actually land on the earth. And I see that the the way I know that is because there's a sort of sense of love, feeling lost, feeling rudderless, an eternal searching like, oh, who yeah. am I? Uh, oh, that's me, by the way. I'm not yeah. judgment. Because <laughs> I, I took a long time to land. Mm. Um, and yeah, never really arriving in the present, in a comfortable present with themselves, mm. with ourselves. I think that mm. I think that's I would see that. So contrast to um, feeling present and um curious and interested in where you are and being able to relate to the world from there from yeah there. yeah looking to the world to satisfy and to fill us up yeah yeah i think mm. yeah mm. any more go on what you got um well i was actually just reflecting on how much of a a late developer I am as well I mean it really did take me a very long time to do those things and I as you were speaking I was thinking oh have I landed yeah oh come on Emily and then I was like but I do probably still float off occasionally well can we can I just normalize that can yeah. I raise the fist and normalize late developers woohoo yay, yay. For us. we made it in the end yeah and can I normalize going in and out of landing Oh, yes, please. Yeah, because it's yes, not. I think that's a, a trap that we often fall into, mm. that we think that we we've, we've gone through a process and we've done that process. Mm. But of mm. course, things come and go. Yes, of course, everything does. We were, yeah, and, and and one of the things that I struggle with myself or, or used to but sort of got a hang of more more now but struggle with trying to get across to people is that however far we get you know using the idea of you know going forward developing going forward <laughs> however far we get we are still going to get knocked sideways by life now and then you know and, and this is one of the things that you know annoys me about not not gurus as such all gurus but a few enlightened people I've come across <laughs> that they 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 sort of fall into this trap of having released themselves from the ego and then believing that that's a permanent state rather than realizing that actually they're going in and out of their ego and they're making quite a lot of decisions <laughs> and giving quite a lot of advice and recommendations based on this sort of ego state that they don't believe that they're in anymore <laughs> sorry that's just a, a a random thing from me but yeah I, I've seen that a few times and so I, I've, I've shifted my own goals to like you know being able to access such of these lovely states rather than you know aspiring to be to be changed into a different state if that makes sense mm -hmm. Uh, yes, it does. Can you can you tell me more if you if you're comfortable about 
what's stopped you from connecting with your body so you mentioned that it's you know you, you started with saying that uh it took you a while so yeah oh yeah I'm very happy to without, you know, bringing the mood down to, to be too grim. I suppose I had um, a big shock in my sort of middle childhood. So I was probably about 12 um, when my, my father died. I didn't know him very well, but more crucially, I'd just begun to meet him and had in particular a four day stay with him at his home. He was very unwell very quiet didn't connect at all and and four days is a long time it was really sort of a bit of a purgatory <laughs> and I think during that time I completely detached from my legs and I think it probably took me about 25 years to get them back so you know that when I say I'm oh you know I mean there are various other ways in which I'd call myself a late developer unfortunately but I uh, although no you, you've normalized that so I can also celebrate it um yeah but uh I think that's probably the the most dramatic one for me because it was explicitly um work with a very skilled counsellor or, or psychologist who re repeatedly drew my attention to the body and would say you're dead from the waist down she didn't pull her punches this one she wow. was, that, she, that, that's that she, I feel I feel quite shocked what that she that. would say that or that, that that was what my body the state my body when was you in. say that i feel yeah. shocked oh yeah yeah I, i've i've heard other people saying it about themselves or or, or others but when she said it to me i was like oh cheers you know <laughs> and, and and the first thing your rational brain it says well that's ridiculous look at me walking and talking and dancing and but actually, a few months after that session, I was still working with her weekly, but it, it was a few months. In the middle of the night, my legs woke up and I had this most intense pins and needles in the whole of both of my legs. And uh, that was, I think that was probably one of the most dramatic invitations for me to really understand about communicating with the body, listening to the body and inhabiting the body and being grounded. Yeah, definitely. So what stops you from connecting with your legs? You prevented that from happening? Well, it definitely wasn't a conscious process. I was, it was not something I was aware of. I mean, even literally in the past week, I've been digging out an, another layer of, of some sort of blocking, um, that relates to that same period of time, that same visit, it, it, you know, at that age, weirdly, just there's, there's layers. <laughs> so for many years, they, they, I, ha I had no, you know, you mentioned seeking, I was always seeking, I was always anxious and questing and not knowing what was wrong, but I, I didn't have any conscious um, idea that, that, that there was anything wrong with my body. I suppose I didn't really have a, 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 a a well-developed concept of the energetic body and I guess I'd probably over many years had a, a just a big mind-body split I mean that was another moment I remember doing a course um I went and did a Saturday course when my two two children were sort of old enough to be happily with their dad I uh it was a bit of philosophy and a bit of community development a bit of ethics and one of the teachers talked about the mind-body split and the light bulb went off. I'd never heard about the mind-body split until that moment. And that was sort of late 20s. So from then, I was just like obsessively seeking to connect my mind and my body back together. Mm. You know, and I'm still doing that now. <laughs> you know, it takes a long time. But um, yes, yeah, so that's 20 years of, of just acknowledging that you know so yeah so so up until certainly before that time I wouldn't even I would have struggled with even the concept of somebody telling me that I wasn't completely attached to my body mm. yeah I'm not sure if that answers your question mm. yeah and there are so many I think I think that what I hear from what you're saying is that there's we we live in a culture that doesn't recognize the body at all 
so the the concept of being detached or disassociated or mm. numb isn't really recognized because mm -hmm. as you said you're walking around and dancing so yeah so that's not true yeah and it, it brings up this sort of dissonance between our experience of feeling of not really able to really and I'm, I'm in habit is what I want to say and I'm really struggling here because you and I share a common language about about body you know to inhabit to dissociate and you know all this kind of stuff mm. but what and, and what what I'm also thinking is well what does that actually mean what what mm -hmm. is the somatic reality of not inhabiting and I think and it, it's funny it sort of circles back to the, uh, the beginning of our conversation I think I notice that because of the way I treat myself so the way that I use say menstrual products mm. or the way that I moved say mm. would indicate to me in retrospect that I was dissociated because I was doing things that were unfriendly towards my body mm. without feeling or thinking anything was wrong whilst you were doing so at exactly. the time yeah exactly and that is to do with this mm. you know this whole culture of of productivity of appearance of mm. you know of acting okay of masking vulnerability of of aspiring to success which means uh, shiny <laughs> Shiny tables and white walls, yeah, and, a, and, a, and an Audi, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. We we swim in that swimming pool, you know, we marinate in that water. We do, we do. And it's very hard to then assert our own reality of, but there's something weird happening here with my mm -hmm. with my legs, with my pelvis, and whatever. I think we've got a little bit of. Um... I think there's a class aspect as well, not as a primary cause, but the sort of the division of manual labour from intellectual labour, when that was a thing, which at one point it wasn't, when that became a thing. Although I don't think that that is, you know, you can't blame that for chronically dissociating the mind from the body. I think you've got philosophy like Descartes. I think he made, I think he was probably misinterpreted, but people take what they want. And if what they want is to, you know, assert their difference from whoever they believe to be in scare quotes below them, that 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 often drives society and the way we think and the way we feel. And there's just that's just a, in the West, that's just been a massive shift, hasn't it? To valuing the mind over the body. It, it It's no surprise that it follows from then that we all become very detached. But I absolutely agree with you as well about what you're saying about the social need to hide your feelings and to um you know deny them completely if possible and if not then just jolly well keep them private uh, and perhaps even in a weird way the feminist shift towards um on the one hand trying to validate women's experiences and not have them swept under the carpet and suppressed and on the other hand trying to demonstrate that women could do everything that men can do <laughs> Uh, maybe that's also one of the victims, you know, uh, you know, unintended victims of that is, you know, as a society, emotional expression, because, you know, before feminism came along, women were expected to be weepy and pathetic. And that was not very good. But at least somebody was expressing their emotions, even if they were doing it in a sort of subservient role. And um, yeah, so I wonder if that's sort of just crunched you know, um, rather than there being this division of labour of emotion, it's just sort of crunched it even more. Um, yeah. But I, I do feel like people are taking a stand against that now. So what do we do? How do we connect? Well, there's this fantastic group I've just come across. I watched a play online 
um, that they hosted last night called Cutting Out by a woman called Viv Gordon, who um, she's got this fantastic metaphor for the, the uh, there are 11, apparently, according to the NSPCC, 11 million adult survivors of child sex abuse in the UK. And she's developed this fantastic metaphor of cutting out paper dolls on a mission to cut out 11 million of them, which she can't do alone. So it becomes this bigger and bigger project. And she's this fantastic play around that. And it's actually uh, also the double meaning of cutting out and dissociating, which she elucidates brilliantly in the play as how she dealt with and probably how a majority of abuse survivors of any kind of abuse actually cope and survive, become survivors as opposed to something worse. Um, and it was actually, and the group that hosted it, AD4E stands for a disorder for everyone, meaning we take on head on the psychiatric claim that there are mental disorders full stop. They say there are no mental disorders. You shouldn't ask somebody what's wrong with you. You should ask what happened to you and what can we do to help you? And, you know, when I stumbled across this group through online events who do lots of training for therapists and counsellors, I just thought, wow. So it's it's not just, you know, like with all due respect, the likes of you and I and the women that we meet. So come on, you know, let's educate ourselves and each other and support each other. It's now a radical activist position, you know, and and a campaign with, you know, with various facets to this campaign to get this message out to stop pathologizing people and to, again, to normalize dissociation. One of the people speaking in the panel said the first therapists, a lot of the people speaking said they had 15 years of therapy, they were pathologized, they were institutionalized, and but they were being asked, what therapy has helped you? And one said the, after about, I think it was about 17 years of bad therapy, she met a therapist who told her that all of her behaviors and symptoms were normal, <laughs> given what she had experienced. And they all showed that she was functioning properly, given what she had experienced. And that's absolutely the case with dissociation, isn't it? You know, what's what's not so good is when we're dissociating from ordinary life because our society is so messed up. <laughs> so naming and normalizing. Mm. Yeah. Of themselves are really powerful tools. And you know, I'm really interested in how how everybody can everybody can access these kinds of tools, you know. And it without having to go to a therapist or a group or mm. you know mm. this, this process of how we can claim ourselves back individually enough so that we can then <laughs> connect and get out there because for, for lots of us the disassociation the lack of connection is so debilitating that it stops us even you know getting over the doorstep yeah yeah okay so i want to name and i thought it's, it's interesting that we're talking about i love these conversations because they go i never know <laughs> where they're gonna go they go where they want to go don't they to feminism to activism and it's like oh, yeah i thought we were going to spend the whole time talking about uh mobile phone addiction oh did you that's funny i don't even have a mobile phone that's probably why it has to because I do. I am so, a bit addicted to the same things on my laptop, but luckily I can leave it at home when I go out, and that does make a difference, really. You are very unusual in not having a mobile phone. I is know. That, I'm is a, that a conscious decision? I'm a Luddite. Yes, it was a conscious decision. Um, it was a very different one sort of 20 years ago when I was convinced that they were going to give everybody head cancer than it is today when I still just don't have a need for one. And piled on top of that, just witnessing everybody else's relationships with them. But to be honest with you, honestly, the, the fundamental reason I don't have one is because I don't want to take a phone with me when I go out. You know, why? Why would I want people to ring me? when i'm not at home oh, you know I just the idea that somebody would call you yeah <laughs> it's not about phone calls clearly yeah. 
I know, but that's the hilarious thing. That's what everyone says. That like I haven't I haven't really moved that. I'm I'm sort of waiting for when they invent one that doesn't have a phone. And would you believe I've actually got one like that by a complete fluke? It looks like a mobile phone. But my son had it. It came, Samsung brought it out in 2012 when they thought VoIP and Skype were going to take off and people would stop using SIM cards. So he then was throwing it away. And I said, what's that? He said, well, it's just, a, you know, it's like a mobile phone, but it's not got a SIM card. I said, give it to me. So it's just an MP3 player. I mean, it's much too old to connect to the internet, but that's also a mercy because then I would just be carrying around a smartphone without a SIM card and that's really pointless. So it's you just like so, an MP3 player, really. You are so smart. I mean, that is just such a <laughs> smart sidestep. The amount, of heads, yeah. the amount of headspace and and money as well I've saved you know people forget that they've just got it's like another utility bill everybody's got more utility bills than me just so they can be contacted all the time <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I did always say if I became a midwife I'd get one but I haven't that hasn't happened yet <laughs> so what other things are we look what do you notice amongst your client groups that stops them connecting well i mean full disclosure i'm very early in my practice with this technique so i haven't worked with a bulk of people to draw sort of you know threads i've worked i could still sort of go back in my head and think of them all and so i have that they all seem very individual um, but we work as a group and obviously I've learned a lot from my teacher about what it works really well for. Um, can, you, can you say what your work is perhaps for people who... Because we, sure, we yeah, good idea. Yeah, so, so it's a, an energy clearing technique which is called reset clearing. Um, I've been learning it from the originator, Angus, Angus McLeod. And the name has changed as he's been looking for the perfect. I'm pretty sure this one is here to stay. And it's probably got a lot in common with other spiritual healing or energy work techniques in the sense that we're all the same body. You know, we're working with the same mechanics in the body, whether you call them spiritual or whether you call them energetic, they're, they're still the same mechanics. And um, so it, it really is like a, a hotline to the subconscious and also to the body itself. So I always am picking between saying the subconscious or the body, you know, but really that where's the division? There is no division, you know, the subconscious, the unconscious, the body, the higher self, they're all aspects of what is ideally a, an integrated being with all of these different parts talking to each other. And that's the whole point. These parts all talk to each other, the immune system, has been scientifically proven to communicate with the brain and vice versa. I mean, how could it be otherwise? Um, and uh, yeah, there's a fantastic book about that called Why Do We Get Ill by Darian Leader and Dorian Say, no, uh, Dorian Say, no, I'm afraid I can't remember the second author, but it's a collection of all the research that was done in the 20th century demonstrating how the mind, uh, the, the mind and the body communicate with each other suggesting that we can you know can actually control and communicate with our own bodies very well and our psyche um but these this research never all got tied up it did that nobody was overlooking it it wasn't a discipline it was just lots of things added up and we really need that to be shown properly it or in ordinary straightforward science so everyone can just get that idea because it would just save so much pain and struggle and so much illness um but i think what's probably happening is that's been leapfrogged and now there's so much advanced research in spiritual energetics and all of you know quantum alignment or i don't even know you know if you wanted to get a few books this is on my to-do list get a few books and read up about the science that's now out there demonstrating the spiritual mechanics of the human body um so yeah we perhaps don't need to go back to that old research but it is very good fun so so what what the technique we use does is just send commands to the subconscious or the body saying okay you can let go of that process now so so when we talk about um 
you know, trauma or neurosis, there's always a root, right? If there's a disease, then it's because there's a disease process running in the body. And often that will be started by what we call a biological conflict shock. So something terrible has happened. It may or may not be obviously connected to the illness that eventually manifests, but you can go back to the root and invite the body to release and that route and reverse it. I mean, one of the problems we have is that it sounds too good to be true. And so people are obviously naturally very skeptical, but it works. I've been, you know, at first I was receiving it as a client from Angus and then I've just, he's just very generous with teaching. He'll teach it to anybody who comes along for treatment and wants to learn how to do it. And um, I've just never come across anything so efficient and versatile so now I'm yeah one of these terrible preachy types I'm going to try not to do that but uh, I really need to um just I just love practicing it on people so yeah that's 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 one of the reasons I was motivated to come and talk to you just get the word out there because Angus is very much the developer you know he's up there communicating with source and and you know supercharging the technique you know day after day after day so um you know, getting it out there into the world in a form that people can understand is, is coming down to, to us, uh, you know, around him. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things you spoke about, spoke about was the, the shock, that the body receives some sort of shock. And that can be a number of things that can trigger the disconnect. Absolutely. So um, biological conflict shock is this term that Angus has, tells us to use, because it's funny you're talking about the power of naming and labels. Reset relies very much on just kind of employing labels like that so that you build up this relationship with the body um, to make things happen more quickly. So you can say clear all biological conflict shocks in relation to a certain topic. But yes, it can be an emotional shock can trigger a physical illness. I mean, one of the things that's shown very interestingly in this, this but I'm going to call it the pink book, Why Do We Get Ill? Because it's a lovely colour pink. Um, it, it, there's a lot of case studies showing that people will become very ill with illnesses very similar to a deceased parent on a first anniversary or a second anniversary of their death. A, a friend of mine who, you know, will obviously remain nameless was absolutely convinced that they were going to die when they were around the age that their one of their parents died which was a young age and was inconsolable until they passed out of that age you know they had tests they felt ill they there were, appeared to be something terribly wrong with them with the medical profession but once they passed out of that age they got the all clear and their life just began it's really quite stunning so yeah shocks could also a physical accident having a car crash i mean all sorts of things can be triggered by a trauma like that including lots of psychological problems and so it absolutely works both ways and one of the things i like about this technique is um and we're always being encouraged to do this is you can simply call up whatever is the priority for addressing and clear that instead of always having to i quite like the investigative phase and I do that to myself I'm very self-analytical introspective I think that's really mm. an interesting way of learning about other people as well is to to dig deep and see what comes up and mm. but um yeah you can also sort of cheat quite a bit <laughs> oh I love a cheat yeah <laughs> <laughs> have a shortcut mm. so how can people um use these sort of techniques and processes for themselves if somebody if somebody's listening and they feel that they're I mean, we, we were talking about what how shock and trauma can disconnect us how can people use this to reconnect i'm hesitant to make any claims you know directly through this recording to someone listening not having any idea what yeah, their yeah, problem yeah, might yeah, be yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um however in the most general in the most mm, general terms, mm. obviously i'm not asking you to no but i mean I, 
<laughs> yeah, I have to be careful not to say, oh, yes, it can cure anything, because, of course, um, that's that's true in a technical sense, but obviously it could be misunderstood. No, um, the way the way we can use it for ourselves, it, it really goes back to how we started, which is about listening to the body. How do you, let me break this down? Let me yeah, yeah. really break this down. So how do you do that? Because there's a yeah. lot of noise. It's yeah, not so something we say, but it's not easy. It's not. It's the most it's the hardest thing in the world. It's the most challenging in the world because it involves being still being still and this is the thing i find so I'm hard i'm gonna myself. really nail you on this one do i know you mean, do you mean yeah. that we mustn't move is that um, what, you mean? what do you mean by being still i wouldn't say that being able to be so let's call it being connected or being in tune or being completely present with oneself or being completely in the present because they're you know they all kind of mean the same thing being connected and paying attention to your inner voice mean doesn't mean not moving but it certainly is a good idea to practice sitting or lying as still as you can in a quiet place away from other people but bar the door you know if you have to all that stuff you know all the stuff that you hear everywhere all the time meditation is so good for you just being still as still as you possibly can in order to practice listening to that inner voice in order to let it rise to the surface above the other noise once you get really good at it sure you could probably I mean I sometimes do reset on myself when I'm walking around or going for a walk because why not mm. um, but I think if you're trying to experience that internal process of thinking deciding what do i want to clear calling up into your awareness and then inviting it to leave using this process you you need to give yourself complete space and, and peace so that you can perceive that otherwise you're not going to believe it's happening you're do you see what i mean if you don't believe it's working then it's not going to be as powerful because you're not going to use it I'm still thinking about listening to the body. <laughs> Sorry, yes, I, yes. <laughs> I got, I got, I got left behind listening to the body because I think it's such. It's, I think that you're. It's so astute what you're saying because it does take practice. Mm, it does. It I, is absolute. Sorry, go on. It does take practice, and it. I think that we. How do I think? I think that we have to, it takes time and practice to develop a relationship with ourselves so that we can hear. So mm. I might sit, I might be still mm. and I've had a headache all morning and I'm feeling that, you know, so I sit still, I think, mm, yeah, I've got a headache. So I feel the pain and I think, oh, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> sort of because i have to write this i've got a pen because i have to write this email you know so i'm listening to my body but it's not in a very nice way mm. <laughs> you know there mm. has to be a sort of relationship developed where we listen and that might that might be uh feeling what well, very often is feeling pain mm. feeling what's not working mm um and then we have to there's some degree of acceptance that has to happen mm. it, before we can then get curious about well depending on where your skills are you know what is the quality the color what does it want to say if it comes if you feel if you have access to verbal you know if your body sensation translates into words or movement mm. or whatever it is whatever way that you do it that's a lot mm. <laughs> i was gonna say that but you've made i was gonna mention words and and you know I was going to emphasize that connection between the mind and the body like if it's all very well listening to the body but when we have a sensation we need to be open to the mind um bridging for us you know that words coming 
or but you've reminded me that not everybody works in that way other people will just move it out dance it out I mean body work is a whole enormous and wonderful field in it in its own right and it is nice when I think this is one of again my my most recent challenges when you can just release something without analyzing it on the way out <laughs> to see what was there and find out why but um to, going back before that for me it's always been some words eventually need to come to enable me to understand what the body's trying to tell me mm. uh, but sometimes it's not a whole string of words it's just like you know even maybe a felt connection to a different part of the body or a felt connection to a memory and that's what tells me the root and what it is I'm supposed to be changing or paying attention to and I remember actually this was before the whole instant with the legs and everything because I remember where it must have been again in my late 20s early 30s first started to notice that a, a physical sensation like a twang or something in the body if I paid attention to it actually had a specific message for me that wasn't at all obvious I got very very excited about that mm. it was probably like I had young children jobs all that business and I was probably in the bath <laughs> you know while the other half was out probably got a bit stoned because getting a bit stoned and going in the bath was just the only way I could reset myself back then I was so hyper I had free-floating anxiety for years I'd never heard of it but that's probably what I had and that was the only time when I would actually, what, what I didn't know I was doing, was what I needed to do was coming back into my body mm. and reconnecting with myself. I'd get lots of insights and that would be one of them. Like, oh, my body's telling me this, my body's telling me that. How exciting. That was like magic to me because, of course, I didn't have this mind-body connection. I wasn't grounded and I didn't have that holistic understanding. I maybe had an interest in, in, the, an interest in the holistic but I've been again raised in this Western society where, as you put it, you know, we're swimming, marinating in this sea of, of very detached, you know, unemotional, yeah. rationalized life. Um, so, yeah, that was very exciting for me. And yet it's decades before I can actually say I spend more time living in awareness with my body than not. Mm even though it will still come in and out every day, you know, it's decades to get from that point of almost complete cut off with these occasional insights to being actually able to live with respect for my body. And that still took a burnout in the middle of all that as well to, to bring that message home. Mm. So can we put... Uh, getting stoned and getting in the bath that's but on part of our tool on in our toolkit please i think we can but we should probably have a disclaimer like you know we're not advocating the use of illegal drugs but personally not. I'm not dragging you into this but personally i would advocate decriminalization of cannabis but i don't have any in my house that's a different point but i would also say we you know not to advocate smoking just to have a little cookie or something <laughs> or better for you <laughs> so I'm really I'm really interested in um you know like practical everyday stuff like for me you know I'm, I'm a personal growth junkie I'm always kind of curious about about new things but what really makes a difference is small stuff that we can do every day mm. to come into more connection with ourselves mm. do you have thoughts about that what, what do you do every day um it would be cheating if i said what i do every day is strive to work out what i should be doing every day <laughs> but there are things i mean i think routine has been a massive challenge for me because i'm in I'm in a relationship which is really lovely you know he's a partner more than a boyfriend and it feels very solid but we don't live in the same house it's only four miles but that creates this enormous changeover constantly um, which makes it very hard for me to have a morning routine 
because it's just so completely different whether I'm on my own or with him. But I have achieved a morning routine which starts with getting out of bed and going and making a cup of tea, taking it back to bed. And that has been life changing. That it's like a flag in the ground. And I just now I'm in the process of I'm wavering. I want to do a bit of meditation every morning where while I'm still there in my bed and I haven't, it's not yet time that I need to do anything. That's so important to me as a goal. But I also want to do you what they call morning pages, you know, journaling a little bit every morning because writing is one of my aspirations. It's definitely my medium and, uh, you know, for creative work. And I feel like at the moment that's the only realistic amount you know time and energy I've got for that so and yet what often happens is I can only do one or other of those things or I sleep a bit late and I can't I just about get my tea so little things you can do every day are so personal to you you know what's the priority I do a bit of reset every day I'll often sit to meditate and I end up just doing reset if something comes up in meditation to clear I'll, I'll sit and clear it and then that might bring something else up I sort of see that as a process. One day I'll just be meditating because I've cleared all the baggage and I've, or not all, but, you know, I've cleared most of the baggage and I've got better at maybe doing that some other time of day. I don't know. But I, 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 love, do... I love what you're saying because it is so human. You know, there's this, mm -hmm. there's this myth that, um, you know, the, 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 like it's like the seven secrets of the successful thing. Where yes. You have this amazing morning routine. <laughs> And many, many people aspire to that. But in real life, we mm. try and we try, we try mm -hmm. and do something that is nourishing, or we have the intention to do something that is nourishing. Yeah. Just as often as we can, as well as we can. Yeah. And you know, if if we really did, if we really had all the opportunity to do the things we wanted to do to set ourselves up in the morning, it would probably be the afternoon it'd probably be lunchtime by the time we finished so, that's like, exactly what, meditation and yeah. the, the morning page yeah. and yoga and the, the yeah. and whatever there are so that's, many it's true that i've actually no i've actually fantasized about writing an article about all of the things that i have read and been told i should do every day <laughs> because if you start to click a lot of them go in and then i feel like you know vaguely doing something wrong if i'm not doing this particular okay thing let's let's today. hang on to that because th th that's for me this that's the thing that's the that's the problem with advice that mm. mm. you know that's kind of floating around that we feel crap because mm. we're not doing enough but mm. just yeah like getting, getting up at 5 a.m you have to and making that cup of tea isn't that more than enough it's like, a, yeah it's pretty damn good yeah it really is yeah such a win yeah and i have the tea i like as well instead of um thinking i mustn't have any caffeine i used i tried not to drink caffeine for such mm. a long time but now i just have my favorite tea which is assam and I have it every day and I'm allowed it because I said I am. <laughs> That's my win. But in terms of what people can do every day, if they're aiming to listen to their body more, I mean, there's the answer, isn't it? It's just finding is working out which is the time of day that you're most likely to either make yourself do it. If it's a question of self-discipline or be left alone if it's a question of living in a busy house. Mm. So when can you find five minutes or 10 minutes or half an hour, whichever is your target, and see if there is a, the same time every day, even if it's just the weekends or just the weekdays or just the days you don't work or just the ways you do. Where is there the opportunity for a routine where you could do it each time? Because anything that you do on a regular basis, you learn do you know what I mean you learn exponentially from doing that each time you do it you're building up a reservoir of learning somehow yeah and what's your top tip for a happy inside life well it's going to be very hard now not to say learning to listen to your body and understand the messages and <laughs> you know interpret those messages act on them mm. yeah but I think it, 
for me, it's, it goes beyond just listening to the body. I think when I sit and I see what's there, it's, you know, the mind, the psyche, all the stuff that's churning around. I've always called myself an overthinker, an overanalyzer. And that's another thing I've tried to reclaim. You know, I'm a thinker is a much nicer. Uh, but actually, if, if you're a thinker and you're anxious, then you're an overthinker. But I think um, when I do manage to sit and be still and tune in, uh, I'm listening to what my mind is blathering on about as well to work out what from that is important. Uh, and so I think for a healthy inside life, that it just all starts with making sure you've got one and making sure you prioritize it and that you don't just keep skating um, because you feel like either because you feel like you have to because other people making demands on you or because and this is the same the very much the case for me because you are avoiding it you know be honest with yourself if you're avoiding your own inner voice because you know it's going to give you all these messages about things you've got to do and change if you're avoiding it be honest with yourself at least because that's the first step of listening isn't it So how do you connect with your body from day to day? I'd love to know what you do in practical terms, in real life terms, not what you aspire to, but what actually happens um, in the ordinary drift of things and what gets in your way. So interesting to share and normalise the difficulties and the triumphs that we have with connecting to ourselves. So please drop a comment here or pop over to Instagram where I'm Kate underscore Codrington and let's normalise together this imperfect business of being in a human body. There are links to the books and the play and ADE4, which Emily mentions, in the show notes. So you can go and check those out if you want to know more about those. And you can find Emily's Reset Clearing website at starlingflow.co.uk. That's starling like the bird and flow like water.co.uk. And there's loads more of her interesting stuff, all kinds of writing on different subjects on her link tree. And you can find that in the show notes too. My book, Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause, is available from your favourite bookshop, and if you like the sound of using the seasons as a guide to life, even and especially if you don't have a menstrual cycle anymore, you might enjoy the Medicine Circle process I offer one-to-one. -one. Just check out my website and you'll find the links there. It would be wonderful if you felt able to share this conversation with a friend, either on social media or in real life. And thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in your ears very soon.